We expect Jesus to be with us now. We're going to do something that we always do, which is turn to the Bible, because that's where we learn about God firsthand from his own words. We're doing a series called People Who Met Jesus, and uh, this week we're looking at Matthew, or as Mark has him, Levi, uh, same person. So uh, people who met with Jesus, and we're going to look at Levi now. In this, we want to see what Jesus is doing. We're not going to focus entirely on Levi. We want to see what Jesus is doing. We want to see what a wonderful saviour he is. And, and you can read through Mark's gospel and you'll find countless people that Jesus met. Uh, not just the ones we're going to preach about. And it's always worth reading about that. Now, it's sometimes said <coughs> that, that Jesus didn't come to preach, but to do things so that there was something worth preaching about. I don't know if you've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard people say that. Um, I don't think that's true. We'll see it's not in a minute. Um, you may have also heard that St. Francis of Assisi ooh, um, supposedly said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel and it sounds very good, doesn't it? You know, obviously, what we, we say should be shown by the things that we do. And we need to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. But is that right? Uh, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Well, let's see what, what Jesus did. We're going to read quite a large chunk of Mark chapter 1 and 2 uh, to set the scene properly for us. I'm going to start at verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, uh, it's a good, good idea to turn to it. Um, if you haven't got a Bible, maybe just close your eyes and just, just listen. Uh, Mark writes very vividly, um, and uh, we, he, he paints pictures for us to see. And we want to see Jesus at work here in Mark's Gospel. So it's Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were there in the boat mending their nets. And immediately... He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was a, in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out loud with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately 
He left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James, with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer, your clen- the, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returns to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so many that there was not room even at the door. And he preached the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic man, carried by four, And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic man lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God alone? And immediately... Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that this, thus they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, 
Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. <coughs> is that thing by Francis of Assisi right? Did, is it to uh, preach the gospel and uh, only if necessary use words? Did you notice how much Jesus used words? How much Jesus is teaching and preaching? It's there right at the beginning. That he comes into Galilee proclaiming the good news. And then he goes to the synagogue and he teaches and then uh, we're told that even when there's a, a lots of people seeking him and actually they're, they're looking for him to do sealing and, uh, healing and m- m- miraculous signs and so on, uh, he says, well, this is a bit of a problem. Let's go somewhere else because I need to preach. And he goes off preaching throughout the synagogues and casting out demons. Did you see that? And even when uh, we hear this story, the lovely story of, of the man being lowered through the roof. Do you remember that? It's amazing. Can you imagine the dust? You can almost smell it, can't you? As, as, uh, it's in the back of your throat as you read Mark. It's so v- vivid. They lower this man down. That must have been pretty precarious as well. But Jesus was there teaching. That's what he was doing. It was a bit of an interruption, actually. And Jesus uses this as a sermon illustration to make a point. But he's teaching. And did you also notice that as Jesus is teaching with words, (laughs) uh, he has incredible authority. He can go to fishermen down at the dock and he can say, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they'll drop everything and follow him. And he goes to teach in the synagogue where there are religious experts and, and they marvel at his authority. And there are demons that seem to want to oppose him, but he can silence them. Amazing authority. In fact, Mark spends about half of his book telling us how much authority Jesus had. Uh, He shows us that, that Jesus has absolute authority over people, over sickness, over death, over demons, over nature. Do you remember Jesus calming the storm and walking on the water. Those are all there in the first eight chapters of of Mark. And he has absolute authority to explain and apply the Bible. Uh, They have their religious experts, but Jesus confounds them. His authority is stunning. He silences those who oppose him. And he has authority to forgive sins. You remember that? We saw that, didn't we? The man lowered through the roof. It's, about, it's actually about Jesus having authority to forgive sins. And when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, boy, your sins are forgiven. Uh, but authority isn't that politically correct today, is it? Um, people want, they demand, uh, rule by consensus in the home, in the school, in the street. Gone are the days when the bobby could give the naughty kid a clip round the ear roll. Um, they demand consensus in the workplace, negotiation, free collective bargaining. Um, 
They, they, they want society to be ruled by consensus. Um, but who, who has authority over us? Who has authority over me? Who, who has authority over you? Who's numero uno in your life? Who's number one? Who's king of you? Or have you got the spirit of the age which says we don't like authority? Who has the right to tell you how to live your life? Who has the right to tell you where to live, where to go to school, uni or work? Who tells you how to relate to your parents, your friends uh, or anyone? Uh, Who tells you how to spend your time and your money? Um, Who tells you what to watch and what to listen to, uh, what to enjoy? Who tells you how to use the internet? Who tells you how to choose your friends and uh, even who you will marry? Who tells you what consenting adults can do in private? Uh, the spirit of this age says, no, I'm number one. I, I don't decide those things. Nobody has authority over me. But Jesus is very different. He has absolute authority. Now, I, I don't have the right to tell you what to do. The, the, the elders don't have the right to tell you what to do. But we bring God's word to you. And what's happening now is we're preaching God's word. It's not coming with my authority. If I preach God's word, it comes with God's authority. So if you don't like what I say, it may be because I've messed it up. Uh, But I I hope if you don't like what I say, it's because it's God's authority speaking to you. And that niggles. Well, let's ride, ride with that and let's see where that goes. Our job is to preach and to teach what God has said in his word. And when, when we do that, God will stamp that with the seal of his authority. How do we know? Because lives will be changed. There will be a response when the gospel is preached. Paul puts it in this way. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, he says, We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And this is the message that Jesus himself brought. It was, the kingdom has come, repent and believe the good news. We implore you on Jesus' behalf. It is on Jesus' behalf. And we expect things to happen. We expect people to respond. We expect Jesus' authority to be at work. In Matthew 28... Uh, the Great Commission, I guess most of us know this. Jesus said, All authority on earth has, in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We expect things to happen. We expect things to happen today in this room now, because Jesus' gospel is being preached. Jesus has absolute authority over all creation now. Uh, Jesus has commissioned us to go and make and baptize disciples. We're not preaching our, our own ideas. 
but what Jesus has taught us. And Jesus has promised to be with us, so we expect things to happen. And that's why we encourage you to bring people here. If you want your friends to, to meet Jesus, this is one of the places it happens. Yes, they will see it in your life, but they need to hear the words too. You need to take the words to them. Uh, we, we all need to be ready to give a reason for the hope we have, don't we? But we come here and we expect Jesus to be with us. He said he will be. And, and Jesus says in, in, in John's gospel, he says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He says the, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So I expect, and this is not because I've crafted a great sermon this morning, but I expect things to happen today. I expect lives to be changed, not because I've got a great sermon, but because Jesus is speaking to you now through his word. He is calling you by name. And he's looking for a response. If you're his sheep, you will follow him. So I, before we get into Levi, let's just, uh, let's just pray. Father, thank you that Jesus said that you are still seeking worshippers. Jesus, thank you that you said that your sheep will hear your voice. And we thank you for that thing that we've just read in, in Mark's Gospel, all those amazing things that you've said and done, Lord Jesus, that that, that you, you just commanded people and, and, and amazing things happened and you displayed your authority and amazing things happened. Well, come Lord Jesus to us now and speak with authority to us now and call the lost sheep to yourself and call the wanderers back to yourself. Holy Spirit, come and stir us up to see Jesus in all his glory. Okay. The outline, um, we're going to be looking just at this, this last section that we read together. Uh, Jesus calling Levi, Levi following Jesus. Uh, there's a party, uh, the Pharisees grumble, and then the doctor is in. Okay. Jesus calls Levi. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by and he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. Uh, Jesus sees Levi, it's no accident. If you're here this morning, Jesus sees you, it's no accident. If you're here, it's for a purpose. Levi has no idea at this point how things are going to turn out. Uh, Jesus does. Uh, And you have no idea how this is going to turn out. Jesus does. That's what makes it so exciting to preach. But isn't that a very compelling reason just to follow Jesus in itself, that he knows and he sees? What do we know about Levi? Well, it's a, a very popular name, so we're told it's Levi's son of Alphaeus, to take away any confusion. 
and I'm sure that helps us very greatly. But it would have helped people uh, when Mark wrote his gospel because they'd know who it was and they could even go and talk. You know, Levi, son of Alphaeus, that's the one. Yeah. We're told that Levi is a tax collector. Now, um, it's not the Inland Revenue, uh, it's not HMRC, um, it's not VAT and all that sort of stuff. Um, at uh, the time just before uh, Jesus was born, the king was a guy called Herod the Great. And just after Jesus was born, we, he, he's infamous, isn't he, for the, the slaughter of the innocents. Now, he, was in, he ruled the whole area. Uh, he, he died uh, very soon after Jesus was born, actually. Uh, he was uh, not a nice guy. Herod the Great, uh, he was uh, uh, described as a madman who murdered his own family and a great many rabbis. rabbis. Uh, he, was, he, he was known for big building projects, uh, and, and he included, that included the extension, a very impressive extension, uh, to the second temple in Jerusalem. Uh, but when he died, his kingdom was divided between three sons, or three that escaped, I guess. Um, Herod Archelaus uh, had Judah in the south. Herod Antipas, uh, we, the one we're familiar with, uh, Galilee in the north and some other Jordan Valley. And uh, Herod Philip uh, had the Golan Heights and then extending into Syria. And Capernaum was a border town between the territory of Herod Antipas and Herod Philip. Uh, and, and so Levi sat at, at actually at, a, at the Capernaum toll booth. I don't know if you've ever been uh, through the River Mersey. Uh, or across the uh, QE2 bridge down uh, at, uh, at the east end. Uh, but but the think, think toll booth. Uh, think uh, you're bringing goods through here. We'll, we'll tax you as you come through. Think, actually, yes, do think uh, customs as you come off the plane. Um, but maybe that's not quite helping us. So I, I've got a few pictures to help us here. Um, think of... You've been parking in your road for a long time and suddenly the council changes the rules and they put parking meters everywhere and there are traffic wardens. Um, in the time of Herod the Great, you could move freely between these three kingdoms, but now, whenever you move, you have to pay taxes. And uh, traffic wardens have a hard time, don't they? Um, um, but you know they, they have a reputation. I, I remember one who was nicknamed Hitler a long time ago, and I, I don't think he was the only one. And uh, they, they're subject to road rage and all sorts of things, aren't they? They, they, they? they are a bit of a byword for people that we don't like, but I think that's, that's, that's not, not altogether fair. Did you say that? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> this, this is a guy, this guy actually is called James Dewar. Uh, he, he's in uh, Stromness. Um, and, and can you imagine, you know, uh, this party at Levi's house? There would be perhaps a collection, <laughs> or, or even a very large collection of people in yellow and black, uh, people to be despised. Um, but uh, oh, sorry, I don't know how that slipped in there. Um, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, we shall not be moved. Uh, no, not if our wheels are clamped. Uh, and perhaps. Uh, uh, we just ought to explain that, that not all traffic wardens are despised. This guy was made redundant because the police officers were going to take over his responsibility and the people complained because he was such a respected traffic warden. So maybe the traffic warden thing doesn't help us 
very much after all. What about uh, wheel clampers, or not just any wheel clampers, rogue, private wheel clampers? Uh, what if, even as we speak, Glindor University has changed the rules and now there's a guy like this actually doing this to your car at the moment? How do you feel about that? Maybe that's a little bit more what Levi was like. Um, we once went uh, to um, a concert, a Sting concert in Manchester at the Apollo, and uh, at that time trying to find somewhere to, to park was quite, quite hard. But we found a nice piece of uh, waste ground, and there was a very nice man there who said, if you give me four pounds, you can park your car and nothing will happen to it. Um, <laughs> not entirely unlike Chav Gollum, but uh, actually our guy had a lovely suit with buttons down it, like a, you know, like a cinema uh, guy with the top hat. Uh, but it was still the same story. You know, you park your car here, pay me four pounds, and, and I can guarantee nothing will happen to it. Um, maybe that's a little bit more what Levi was like. Does that help you? Okay. So he probably wasn't a very nice guy, and as a tax collector, he would have been universally despised. Levi's family would probably have disowned him. And his only friends would have been other outcasts, and uh, typically that would be other tax collectors, and people that are collectively called sinners, which includes prostitutes and, 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 and other ne'er-do-wells. Um, but, but money couldn't buy him love. Sorry. The religious people said that Levi was unclean and labelled him as a sinner. And, and some rabbis even taught, you know, Ten Commandments says, you sh thou shalt not bear false witness. I actually said, doesn't matter with tax collectors, you can say what you like, you know, lie through your teeth to a tax collector, it doesn't matter, because they're unclean. Um, everyone resented having to pay the tolls. Um, he, he, he probably would have been physically and verbally abused. Uh, you know, the zeroth century equivalent of uh, road rage, I guess. If it hadn't been for the fact there were probably Roman soldiers nearby just to keep order. Um, but, you know, the kids would throw something and then run, laughing. And, uh, uh, but having Roman soldiers standing by, of course, made, it, made things worse. He, he was working for Herod Antipas, but, of course, uh, they were really working for the Romans. And uh, so um, people would shout, Collaborator! You'll be the first against the wall when the revolution comes. Uh, not a nice existence, really. He probably wondered why he was doing it sometimes. Uh, he knew he wasn't a particularly nice guy. Uh, he'd been told that plenty of times by other people. And his own conscience agreed with him, but he, but he felt trapped. What do I do now? And then Jesus shows up. And immediately, everything changes. This man who's despised, who feels trapped, unloved, and Jesus shows up and everything changes. And I don't know how you feel this morning about your life.
the things that uh, other people know about you, perhaps, or the things they don't know about you. Maybe you feel trapped by who you are and what you've done. But Jesus has shown up this morning and everything can change. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Levi was to become Matthew, one of the twelve. One of the twelve. Writer of the first gospel. I bet he didn't know that was going to happen that day he was sitting at his tax Do you know where God's going to take you? Do you know what he can do with your life? When you see someone who's an outcast in today's society, what do you see? Can you imagine what Jesus could do with that person and how valuable they are? Now, jumping ahead, um, Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi rose and followed him. Levi follows In Mark's gospel, following Jesus means not just walking behind him for a little bit. It means to pursue him, to not let him out of your sight, to believe in him, to trust him, to have faith in him, to be his disciple. And do you notice that before, that the fishermen, very similar situation, Jesus just says, follow me. And they drop everything and follow. And it's the same for Levi. Something very compelling, Jesus' authority, follow me. He rises, he goes forth, and he follows Jesus. In an instant, it's immediate. He leaves everything, Luke tells us. It's Luke chapter 5 is the parallel. And there's no going back. Uh, Levi has burnt his bridges. In a moment, everything has changed forever. He will never be the same. <laughs> he will never. It's cool, wasn't it? We sang that. I'll never be the same. He, he will never be the same. And then there's a party. This is where the party is. <laughs> And he reclined at table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Reclining at table indicates a party. Uh, Luke tells us it's a banquet. It's a banquet given actually in honor of Jesus. It's not really about Levi, this party. It's about Jesus. Uh, Levi is so amazed at who Jesus is. He, he, he gives a party in honor, almost straight away. And, and as all his friends <laughs> come along, I wonder how they heard about it. At, at the end of this morning, we are going to celebrate communion together. That's a party where Jesus promises to be present. It's a party for his 
followers? Are you one of them? Maybe you will be by the end. Where did all these people come from? I don't think it happened by accident. I don't think he was in the habit of giving parties. I think he invited them. Maybe he said just a few words. Come on, come and meet somebody incredible. Come and have a party. Come and meet him. Again, do you want to see lots of people following Jesus? Do you want to see Jesus building his church in Wrexham? Do you want to see Jesus building his church in Deeside? There's something you can do about that. You can invite your friends along to meet Jesus, to come and have a party <coughs> with us. Or maybe they'll find our worship a bit too exuberant. You know, Paul says... An unbeliever coming into a meeting like ours will say, whoa, God is in this place. Is that how you think? Or you think they'll be scared off? Do you want them to meet with God? No, no, bring them along. Bring them along. Let them meet God. Let them meet Jesus. God is in this place. We're preaching Jesus and Jesus is calling his sheep. And we will see things happen. Why not ask God today who you could invite for next week? The Pharisees grumble. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, This is actually a very common theme in the Gospels. The religious people don't like Jesus. He keeps the wrong company. He doesn't keep their rules. Uh, He undermines their authority. Uh, He teaches lots of dangerous ideas. Uh, He's a blasphemer. Actually, we saw that, didn't we, in in Mark chapter 2 this morning. As soon as Jesus does anything dramatic, oh, oh, he's a blasphemer. And he keeps the wrong company, doesn't he? He keeps the wrong company. If If he really knew what these people were like, he wouldn't eat with them. And of course, their question is, why, why, why does he? Uh, perhaps it's uh, to undermine what the disciples think. But, but also, think of these poor tax collectors and sinners sitting there, and in come these religious people pointing the finger and frowning. Maybe they're thinking, oh, well, maybe they're right. Maybe Jesus shouldn't be here. But Jesus stands up, and in front of his disciples, he corrects them, he teaches them. He says, no, this isn't the case. Do you know if you're a believer, you have a defender, one who stands for you, not just anyone. You have the Lord Jesus. And in the face of accusation, he will stand up and defend you. You don't have anything to fear from people that say you're not good enough for Jesus. Coming quickly to the close. The doctor is in. What's Jesus going to do? 
He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You shouldn't be surprised that I'm spending time with these people. Sick people need a doctor. Broken people need fixing. Sinners need a saviour. And I'm here. What's your problem? The problem is grace. God's grace is offensive. It's outrageous to religious people. People who want to come to God in terms of who they are and what they've done don't like it when people that they consider to be worse than themselves come to God on what they think are easy terms. God's grace is offensive to religious people. God's grace is wonderful to broken people. It means that nobody is beyond Jesus' reach. Nobody in this room is beyond Jesus' reach. Yes, of course Jesus is with the sinners because that's who he came to save. But there's another problem, isn't there? They, they think, uh, they, they understand things, but actually what he says is that the healthy have no need of a doctor. But there's another way of viewing that, isn't there? If uh, you don't think you're sick, you won't go to the doctor. Uh, I didn't go to the dentist for years because I was afraid. Um, and I've had a pain in me in the past and I didn't go to the doctor when I could have done it and I had to have an operation in the end. Um, we don't like to think there's something wrong with us. We don't like to think what the consequences are. Some illnesses are really obvious, aren't they, and they just need fixing. But some of them are very deep-seated and hidden. And what Jesus is saying about these people is, actually, you've got deep-seated sickness yourself. It's very easy to see what's wrong with these tax collectors, isn't it? It's not so easy to see what's wrong with you, you Pharisees. Uh, you, you want everyone to think you're righteous. Uh, but we know differently. <laughs> the healthy have no need of a doctor but the sick. Uh, we're told by the medical profession, by doctors, uh, to examine ourselves, aren't we? Um, we'll probably not say much more about that. Uh, but um, we do. We need to go and look. Is, is there a lump? If there is, we do something about it. Uh, it's not something that anyone else will see. So do you really think you don't need Jesus? Do you really think you're good enough without him? Um, are you outraged that he should even consider taking people like Chav Gollum into his kingdom ahead of you? Jesus didn't come to call well people. He came to call sick people like me. He says why he came three times in Mark's Gospel. I came to preach. I came to call sinners. That's, we've seen that in the passage at 1.38. I came to preach. 2.17. I came to call sinners. And the third time is in 10.45. 
where he said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many, for many sinners. There's quite a few in this room. It's good news, isn't it? Levi and his friends don't know how much this party is going to cost. Levi knows what he spent on it, but he doesn't know the true cost. It's actually going to cost Jesus his life. Jesus is going to be mocked, he's going to be tortured, he's going to be crucified to pay for this party. But for now, Jesus insists that the party continues. That's at the end of the chapter, we didn't read that, but it, it, there's a discussion about why all this feasting, and Jesus says, now there'll be a time when the feasting stops for a short while. <laughs> the celebration is so important. Do you remember the, in Luke's Gospel, the parable, par- parable of the prodigal son? What's, what happens? Well, the son leaves his dad with half the inheritance, goes off and wastes it all, And then eventually he comes to his senses and says, well, I'll go back and I'll just ask Dad if I can just help around the house. And he makes his way back and as he's returning, his father sees him from a long way off and he runs out to welcome him. And the son has got this little speech already about, you know, I've been a terrible son, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven, I don't know why I'm doing it in this accent, but I'm not worthy to be called your son. Now what happens... He try, you know, the father runs towards him, grabs him, and he starts his little speech, but the father won't hear it. No, this isn't a time for your little speech. This is a sign for a party. You've come back. You've become a follower. You've returned. It's time for a party. There is another incident with the tax collector in Luke's gospel. Luke does the three. three. Luke often does things in three just to make it very... You know, we have this story of Levi in chapter five. Then we have the, the story of the prodigal son. No, we don't. Forget that. Scrub that out. We have the, the story of the tax collector and the, and the Pharisee going up to the temple. Do you remember that? Same issue going on there. A tax collector and a Pharisee. It's worth the read if you've got time this afternoon. And then at the end, in, in, in Acts 19, we have Zacchaeus. You know? We all know, uh, was he big or was he small? He was a very little man, and a very little man was he. He climbed up into the sick for the saviour he wanted to see. <laughs> More than anything, he wanted to see Jesus. Boy, Levi saw Jesus this day. And there's a party. <laughs> there's a party at Zacchaeus' house as well. And the acts of repentance come after that. (laughs) Did you notice that? At the party, Zacchaeus says, you know what? (laughs) If I've cheated any of you, I'll give you two, three times what I've cheated you. And Jesus says, wow, salvation has come to this house. The gospel is also likened to an, an invitation to a party. It's good news, guys. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. It's good news. John tells us that he wrote his gospel just so that we would know 
who Jesus was. And in knowing that, we would have life in his name. Luke wants us to be sure about this. It's good news, guys. We should be excited. Jesus is among us now. He's speaking through his word. Some of you didn't know you were his sheep. (laughs) Maybe he's already started speaking to you. And he's going to say, follow me. He says, follow me. Jesus is saying, follow me. And what I want us to do now is I want us to celebrate Jesus. I want us to have something of that party. We're going to do communion together. Now, some of you probably have something you need to do before we do that. So I'm going to ask uh, Steve, because he now knows where the back of the room is. <laughs> and, and Rachel... If they could go to the back, I'll ask you all to stand. Because uh, I think some of you actually need to make a choice right now. Levi, here's the word of Jesus, follow me. And he gets up, he drops everything, and he follows instantly. I think it would be really good if you feel God is saying that to you today, that you do just that.